All right, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Second Chronicles. We're going to be looking at chapters 34, 35 this morning. Uh, as we continue in this series on revival, this is the last message that I'll be doing from Second Chronicles this summer as we've looked at some significant revivals that took place then and also in church history. And then uh, next week with our start of the new year, we're going to start a new series and we've got a, a lot of different things planned coming up. So let me read for us in Second Chronicles 34, just the beginning of this chapter. It said, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places. Asherah poles, carved idols, and cast images. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles, the idols, and the images. And these he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altar, and so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali and in the ruins around them, he tore down the altars and the Asherah poles and crushed the idols to powder and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. And then he went back to Jerusalem. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign to purify the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. And they went to Hilkiah the high priest and gave him the money that had been brought into the temple of God, which the Levites, who were the doorkeepers, had collected from the people of Manasseh, Ephraim, and the entire remnant of Israel and from all the people of Judah and Benjamin and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And then they entrusted it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the Lord's temple. These men paid the workers who repaired and restored the temple. They also gave money to the carpenters and builders to purchase dressed stone and timber for joists and beams, the buildings that the kings of Judah had allowed to fall into ruin. The men did the work faithfully. Over them to direct them were Jahath and Obadiah, Levites descended from Merari and Zechariah and Meshullah, descendants from Kohath, the Levites, all who were skilled in playing musical instruments, had charge of the laborers and supervised all the workers from job to job. Some of the Levites were secretaries, scribes, and doorkeepers. We're going to stop there. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we read about things that were part of a different age and time, and yet they have relevance for us. For you are still the same. You're a God to be worshipped. You desire that we come together in a corporate way to do that. You want our heart to be right with you. And so today, as we think about the revival that took place in Josiah's time, Father, our prayer is that you would do it again. In Jesus' name, amen. If it uh, sounds a little different today, I have a new microphone that we're working on, and I know they're making some adjustments as we speak, but can you hear okay in the balcony or in the back? Good. 
Good. All right. Well, revival is a work of God. We've seen that in all of the stories that we've been looking at here in the Old Testament. And we can't make it happen on our own. We can't artificially produce it. You know, I've been to uh, conferences with pastors where I felt that the speaker sort of felt like he needed to do that. You know, he was waiting for God to show up and it maybe didn't seem like it had happened to him. And so he tried to pump up the crowd and pump up himself. And it just doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. And I've been to other conferences or ministry opportunities where the Word has been preached in reverence, where people have been called to put into practice what God said, and God showed up and moved far beyond what we would have imagined. Because He was there, and He was honoring His Word and working in the hearts of people. And we can't artificially produce that. God is the only source of revival. But he does use means to get our attention. And what I mean by that is he will use different things in our life to bring us to that point where we may be open to his work or teachable or hungry. He uses things like circumstances. He'll use things like war or famine or economic troubles or natural disasters to get our attention. In the book of Amos, there was a series of five things that God did in Israel to try and get them to turn back, and sadly, they would not. And finally, God said, then prepare to meet your God, O Israel. God will use sin and the consequences of sin in the Old Testament book of Judges. There are seven cycles where the people, you know, started out good, walked with God, then began to prosper, turned away, fell into sin, and God allowed them to suffer the consequences of their sin. And they experienced oppression, and in their oppression, they cried out to God. God raised up a deliverer and brought them back into a relationship with him. Sometimes it is prayer where God moves his people to pray, to pray for revival, to pray for spiritual awakening. In the book of Acts, we see examples of that where the believers came together to pray. And there were times when God moved in such a powerful way. In Acts chapter 4, it said the place where they had gathered was shaken by the power of God. And many, many people came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And God also uses his word. Whether it is quietly read or powerfully proclaimed, the Spirit of God uses the word of God to touch our hearts and bring conviction and repentance. The word of God is living and active. It pierces to the division of soul a bone and marrow of soul and spirit it cuts to the heart and it causes us to reflect on our relationship with him well that's exactly what god did in this revival that takes place in the time of josiah he used his word to bring about a great change not only in the king but in the nation josiah reigned over judah for 31 years we can date his reign pretty accurately, confidently, from 640 to 609 B.C. The world was changing at that time. Assyria had been the dominant power for a hundred years in the Middle East, but their empire was waning and Babylon was on the rise, and there would be a great battle where those scales would be tipped. Because of that, Assyria's influence in Judah and Israel was lessening. And so, 
when Josiah came to the throne, he began to expand his influence over those areas, including what was the northern part of Israel. And it tells us in this passage that he became king when he was just eight years old. Obviously, at that point, someone else is watching over him, but here is this new king, eight years old. And then at the age of 16, he begins to seek the Lord. Now, I read that, and I, I wondered why. I'd like to know more of his testimony. I'd like to know more of what was going on there. And I, I wonder about Josiah. What was it that caused him to turn to the Lord at this time? Josiah grew up in a terrible family. I mean, his grandfather was the worst of all the kings of Judah. His grandfather was Manasseh. He ruled over Judah for 55 years. He did all sorts of abominable things. And God in judgment had him carried away into Assyria in captivity. But while he was in captivity, it's one of those amazing stories of grace that Manasseh had a conversion experience while he was there in prison. God did a work in his heart. Was that what caused Josiah to think about the Lord? We don't know. Josiah's father Ammon was also a wicked king. In fact, he was so bad he was murdered by his own associates just after two years as king. And during this time, when all of this was going on, because of what Manasseh had done and what uh, Ammon had done, the temple was closed. There were no worship services going on. There was no teaching of God's word. In fact, we're going to read that the book of the law uh, had been lost. And so here is Josiah growing up in this time period. Why did he begin to seek the Lord? Was someone praying for him? Was someone secretly teaching him God's word? Was it Manasseh's conversion? We don't know. But clearly God was at work. And it should be an encouragement to all of us that even in the darkest of times, when it looks like all hope is gone, God is still at work. God is still at work. And it is never too late to pray. Now we're going to walk through this passage, and there are three points I'd like to make as we focus on this theme of humility, of humbling ourselves before the Lord. What we see in Josiah's life is that it is time to humble ourselves before God. That's where it begins, and we see that in verses 1 to 13. Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That's the summary statement on his life. And he chose to follow the example not of his father or his grandfather, but he chose to follow the example of David, Israel's greatest king. And again, at age 16, he began to seek the Lord. If I were to describe that in today's setting, talking about a teenager, I'd say that, you know, uh, here was a teenager who grew up in an unbelieving home. His parents didn't know the Lord. Uh, he had never been to church. He had never read the Bible. Uh, he hadn't heard the gospel, but he came. Something was missing in his life. There was something that he was seeking because God was at work. And that's the way that he has made us. There is a hunger in our heart. And people try to fill that hole with all sorts of things, but it can only be satisfied by God himself. I think if you're in student ministry or children's ministry, 
You should be encouraged by what God did here with Josiah. And in fact, we see that every year in our student ministry and our children's ministry. We have kids who come to our church or students who come to our ministry after school programs or evening programs, things like that, that are coming out of situations just like Josiah where they don't know the gospel and they never growing up going to church or having that be a part of their life, but they come because they're hungry. And we have the opportunity to share the good news with them. At age 20 then, at the age of maturity in Hebrew, kind of like we would say when someone turns 18 or they turn 21, that they become an adult, and we look at those years as significant, Josiah began a series of sweeping reforms in Judah and Jerusalem but also they were carried into the northern parts of Israel. And they listed here some of those different tribal areas of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, Naphtali, as far to the north as they could go. Um, They had gone into those regions, and he had given instructions that uh, these men were to tear down the Baals, the idols to the false gods. They were to smash their altars and Asherah poles, and they were to call people to worship the one true God. That must have taken some time because it's six years again before the author of Chronicles tells us the next thing that happened. And at age 26, in the 18th year of his reign, Josiah called for the leaders of the people to come together and to repair and purify the land and the temple. Repairs needed to be done on the house of God. Major repairs were needed. That called for masons, bricklayers, carpenters. It had been 250 years since anything this major had been done to the temple of the Lord. 622 B.C., just 36 years before the temple would be destroyed by Babylon. God was at work and Josiah was calling for these repairs to be done. And nothing like this had happened in the days of the kings prior to him. Josiah humbled himself before the Lord. And to humble oneself is one of the conditions that was given in 2 Chronicles 7.14. When God said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Josiah was doing what God had asked of him and he was calling the people to do the same. To humble ourselves is to yield ourselves wholly to God, admitting our brokenness, our sin, admitting our desperate need for God, and yielding everything to Him. It's saying to the Lord, I will honor you above all else. Do you remember when you made that commitment to the Lord? Is there a time you look back on your, in your life when you just surrendered everything to Him? For me, you know, when I was 10, I, I asked Jesus to be my Savior and Lord. And I understood it at that level as a child, and I made that commitment to Him, and I knew that something had happened in my heart. But for me, the time when I really surrendered everything to Christ occurred many years later in those years in college when I was growing in my relationship with Him. 
And I still remember it happening over a period of time. There were times when I would wrestle with some of those things. And God, what is it that you want me to do with my life? I remember going into a church at home in a midweek kind of time when nobody was there. And I just went into the church. And I came up to the front. And I just knelt. And I prayed. And I just poured out my heart to the Lord. I remember going for walks with God at times and talking about what he was doing in my life and rejoicing in the good things that I was seeing and also talking about those areas of sin that I was still struggling with and wanting to give it all to God and finally coming to that point where I surrendered everything to Jesus. God used a chorus that was popular at that time, a song that was actually written by Steve Gamble. Some of you know Steve. And it was the chorus that said, Dear Jesus, Thou art everything to me, and everything I own I give to Thee, my wealth, my all, but most of all, dear Lord, I give myself to Thee. And that was it. And I remember that time so clearly on a summer evening walking across the yard at our farm and surrendering everything to Jesus and saying, Here I am, Lord. What is it you want me to do? Best decision I ever made. You know, when you look back on that, I mean, I want to live in a way where I have no regrets about the things that God's asked of me. Where I've come to that place of surrender and I said, Lord, you know, my life is in your hands. Show me what it is that you want me to do. And God doesn't call everyone into ministry. That's not the point of the story. I mean, he doesn't call everyone into a full-time ministry, but we all are full-time ministers regardless of our vocation. That God calls us to surrender our work to him, to surrender our time to him, or to yield to him you know, all of the areas of our life and let him purify and cleanse our heart. You see, humbling ourselves before the Lord also means turning to God from our sin. And just like Josiah had to put away the idols in the land, we need to put away those things that are idols in our life. Last week we heard the testimony of those who were here from the Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge Choir. Great testimonies of how God has worked and their struggles, though, where they had to put away the alcohol, the drugs, the other things that have become idols in their heart. There are also idols like pornography or sexual sin that we need to deal with. Coveting and greed, the desire for more and more that can take a person to pursue that rather than to pursue the Lord. It may be bitterness and unforgiveness, and we need to let it go. In fact, those are the kind of things we're going to be talking about as we move into our next sermon series, an ABF series to start the year. It's a series called God's at War, and it's about idolatry. It's about the things that get in the way of our relationship with God, and we need to let it go and confess it as sin and turn from it if we are going to be right with God. We are to turn to the Lord in humility and repentance. And what Josiah would say is, it's time. It's time to do that. Secondly, we read in this text that it's time to humble ourselves before God's Word. And we see that in verses 14 through 28. I won't read all of it, but I'm going to talk about what took place here. 
It said in verse 14 that while they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. And Hilkiah said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And he gave it to Shaphan. Now Shaphan was a secretary to the king. So here they are. They're doing all this restoration and repairs. And can you imagine that? That somehow in the midst of this decline that had been taking place, that the book of God's word, uh, it could have been Deuteronomy because of what uh, the king responds to, but it may have been the whole Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And it had been lost. I don't know if one of the priests in the past had hidden it for safekeeping or if it had just been lost through neglect when the doors were closed and the temple was shut. But there had been no proclamation of God's word for years. And now they came and they found this most precious of all gifts, the word of God. Can you imagine what that was like? Well, Shaphan took it. He brought it to the king, and he explained what had happened. And then he read that book in the presence of the king while the king sat and listened. If it was just the book of Deuteronomy, that would probably take about three hours to read. If it was the whole Pentateuch, it would probably take about 15 hours to read that. Can you imagine sitting for that? Would we sit to hear God's Word for three hours or for 15 hours? Would you take the time to do that and to listen to what God had to say? Josiah did. And what is even more impressive, though, is what Josiah did when he heard God's Word. He tore his robes in repentance a sign of humility and, and contrition before the Lord. He heard it and he understood on the one hand what had been going on and the blessings and curses that God had set before the people if they would obey or if they disobeyed. But secondly, he wanted to understand, now what does this mean for us? What does this mean? So he sent Hilkiah to inquire of the Lord, God, is it too late? God, is there something that we can do? And Hilkiah went to a woman named Huldah, who was a prophetess in Judah. And she responded. She asked of the Lord, what does this mean for Judah? And the word came. It was a message of judgment and a message of mercy. She told them, verse 24, that this is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and all its people. All the curses written in the book that has been read in the presence of King Ju of Judah. That it was too late for the land. That so much had gone on. So much had passed that finally God was going to come and act in judgment. God is merciful. He is long-suffering. But there is a day when Jesus Christ will return. And the books will be open. And all of that is going to happen in that day that is future, and we just do not know when. On the other hand, it was a message of mercy for Josiah. If you look at verses 27 and 28, it says, 
she said, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. And now I will gather you to your fathers, and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster that I am going to bring on this place and on those who live here. Josiah would die before the judgment came. He would be gathered to his fathers, and the nation would mourn for him. Jeremiah was a contemporary at this time, and Jeremiah would write a lament for Josiah. He grieved when Josiah died because he was a good king. We don't have that book. I mean, that's not what Lamentations is. Lamentations is about the fall of Jerusalem and the temple that will occur in just a few years hence. But Josiah wept, Zephaniah wept, the people wept at the death of this good king. You know, in this series, I've been sharing stories of revivals that have taken place in history to show how God has worked even in our own uh, times and generations too. When you go back to the 1920s, there was a revival that took place in China that was known as the Shantung Revival. And it took place in the northern part of that country. Christian missionaries had labored there for well over 50 years with minimal fruit, they felt. By 1900, there were less than 100,000 Christians in the world's most populous nation. Now, 100,000 people is still significant. But when they looked at what was going on in the church, they just felt like there wasn't this passion. There wasn't this desire to share the gospel with friends, with those around them. They weren't seeing that kind of fruit that they thought should be there. And God used a series of circumstances, and he used two people in particular to bring about this revival. One was a man named Jonathan Goforth. He was a Canadian Presbyterian missionary who had been in China since 1887. The other was a Norwegian Lutheran missionary, Marie Munson. But the event that triggered all of these things was a very sad event in Chinese and world history that was called the Boxer Rebellion, the Boxer Uprising. And it related to something that had taken place in this country that brought about a suspicion of foreigners and in China, which was very close to outsiders. All of the foreigners were rounded up and many were killed. One church lost 54 people who died as martyrs. In another region, 59 missionaries were rounded up and killed in a single day. It was a horrible event that swept through. In uh, Nanking, all of the missionaries were ordered to Xingtao or Chefu for possible evacuation. And those who had been evacuated there began to study the Scriptures, come before the Lord and ask God, why? Why were they being removed from this work? And God began to speak through His Word and through these people that He raised up. The missionaries began to meet one day a week to fast and pray and come together before the Lord. A group of missionaries asked Marie Monson to join their prayer meetings, and God began to use her to stir up their hearts. 
She challenged them to get right with God. Was there any unconfessed sin in their life? Was there anything hindering their relationship with the Lord first of all? And they confessed their sins to one another and they prayed for one another and they sought to be reconciled. No divisions between them. Three questions she asked were, have you been born of the Spirit? Have you truly been born again? And what evidence do you have of the new birth? And have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you living under His guidance and empowerment? And Jonathan Goforth began to preach the Word, and he called people to obedience, to hear and obey the Word of the God. He believed that the Holy Spirit worked in revival by illuminating the Scriptures. And he resisted kind of this modernist movement that was beginning even then that was undermining biblical authority. And he preached the Word of God. He said, There has never been a revival except where there have been Christian men and women thoroughly believing in and wholeheartedly pleading the promises of God. He went on to say that the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is the only weapon that has been mightily used in revival. And the people took to heart. They saw the great need. They humbled themselves before the Lord. And they humbled themselves before His Word. But a third thing took place there too, just like in the days of Josiah. It is time to humble ourselves before God's people. And they humbled themselves before one another. In the days of Josiah, the king called together all of the elders of Jerusalem and Judah. He called together all of the leaders, all of the people. In fact, in that last section from verses 29 to 33, the word all is found 11 times. All, all, all. He's calling everyone. Northern tribes, southern tribes, come together before the Lord. No one had done this since the times of David and Solomon. And the king then renewed the covenant that they had made with God, and he called upon the people to do the same. He renewed his commitment to the Lord. He was all in. And he called the people to do the same. In verses 31, 32, 33, we see the responses where the, the king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord. To follow the Lord and keep his commands and regulations and decrees with all his heart and all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. And then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to it. And all the people said amen. Josiah led the people in this renewal of the covenant. And they came before the Lord and they humbled themselves in obedience to him. You know, when I look at these stories of revival, both in the Scripture and in the history, one of the things I see is that revival will not last unless there is a deep change in our heart and a deep commitment to walk with the Lord according to His Word. The longest-lasting revivals are always based on the Word. Emotion may bring people in for a moment, you know, it may kind of touch the heart, and there are times when there are services with a lot of emotion and tears and weeping, and people make commitments, and that is wonderful. But it will not last unless people are grounded in the truth of God's Word. 
to take the word and to make that be the daily practice of our life, to read it, to hear it, to meditate on it, is just so important for our relationship with God. Have you made that the pattern of your life? To come before the Lord in the word and prayer, to listen to what he has to say and to be obedient to what he has. We need that. And we need one another to stay strong. In verse 33, it said something interesting about the people's response. That as long as Josiah lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their fathers. Josiah had a significant influence on their life. And they needed that to keep them walking with God. James 5.16 says to us, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Confess your sins. Admit your struggles. Talk about what's going on in your life and pray for one another. Not in judgment, but with a desire to help and to ask for God to work and to do what only he can do. To hold one another accountable and to encourage one another, we need that. The fruit of the Shantung revival was powerful and it was long-lasting. Those who were saved began to tell their neighbors what Jesus had done for them. Those who turned to Christ took down their household gods and they burned them. They destroyed them. The hearts of the people were full of praise and thanksgiving. You could sense it in their worship services when they came together. There was joy in their singing. The believers had a hunger for God's Word. They wanted to study it. They wanted to read it and to know it well. And those churches that were spiritually dead were revived and church attendance grew and multiplied. Prayer meetings sprang up and began to last for one, two, or three hours as people got right with God. And you know, even that boxer rebellion that resulted in the death of so many believers brought a new fire to the church in China that Jesus Christ is worth living for and he is worth dying for. And it strengthened the church ultimately in their commitment to follow Jesus Christ. Lord, do it again. Do it again in our generation. It's time. It's time. And may David's prayer be our prayer today too when in psalm 139 he said search me O god and know my heart test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting let's pray father you alone know the condition of our heart you know the sins we struggle with you know the areas where we need to grow and Father, I pray that you would move us in a spirit of contrition to humble ourselves before you and to say, Lord, here I am. I want you to have all of me, not just part of me. I want you to have all of me. And I want to live for you, and I want to be a witness for Christ in my home, in my neighborhood, where I work, where I go to school. God, I want to honor you. And I will leave the results in your hands. And I ask that you would use me and that you would use our church to be a powerful witness for Christ this year. In your name we pray, amen.